finding uh, Bobby's house, Bob and Trisha's home, um, you just talk to us afterwards. It's not that difficult to find, so, um, but it's just out um, Graham Avenue and turning left at uh, Valley, what used to be Valley Dairy, and you'll run into it on Shady Lane on the right-hand side. So uh, we'll, we'll give you directions if you need it. It's not that far, and we'll go from there. This morning, we're going to talk about our self. Our self. Now, I was thinking of this in the, in the context of it doesn't seem to go to get together, our and self. It's like a plural with a singular. It, do, it you know, seems it should be an oxymoron. They don't, the two don't go together. So we would often say, well, perhaps it's ourselves. Well, why would we call ourselves plural? <laughs> you know, why would we say, here I am, me, myself, and I? You know, here I am, mine, mine, and mine. You know, so we look at this and we say, what's, what's he going to do today? Well, you know, when we look at this person we call ourself, uh, what do we see? And what does God want to do with this person that we call our self? Whenever we think of that or whenever we put it in our, we think of belonging. We think of it belongs to us. It's made or it's done by us. So we have this R, something that is speaking of my belongings and looking to what I have done. And self, of course, is, is um, a singular person subject. So here I am looking at our self. And when I turn to Christ, though, I give up myself, our self, we give up who we are to Jesus Christ. And it is in our giving up of our self that we be first begin to realize who we are as a person. You know, when we, th- you know, when we look at describe ourself, so if you can describe yourself in 30 words or less, <laughs> you know, uh, we would be able to look at, what would you say? Great. great, yes, yeah, great. Just one word or less, great. So... But whenever we describe ourselves with Christ, we're looking at, we're looking at empowered, we're, we're looking at uh, forgiven, we're, we're looking at how that God has prepared a place for us in heaven, how that God has working all things to good in our life. We begin to see that the personality of God is where we find our true personality. We begin to see that our self is really a plural of saying God and I together are an exclusive person. <laughs> God and I together are an exclusive uh, couple because God is doing something inside of me that enables me to become what myself could never be. So whenever we look at um, ourselves... Sometimes, any, you know, anyone in very ever sarcastic? You know, is there sarcasm? You know, that's my little sarcastic self. You know, <laughs> little sarcasm here and there goes a long way. But you know, I didn't realize what sarcasm meant. It means to tear flesh like dogs. <laughs> that's pretty disruptive. <laughs> my little sarcasm is tearing at people like a dog tearing at flesh. That's where the word comes from. So if we are a sarcastic self, 
we need to bring that sarcastic self into check and, uh, not, and not go off in that direction. But in Christ, there is no longer a single person. There is a plural person. There's God and I together. So it's our, it's our relationship with God, God and I together, we become one. Jesus and me, the plural me, doing my work and God's work in my life. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse, beginning at verse 15, well, the King James says, But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. In the Message Bible, it says, No prolonged infancies among us. So, when we have children, little kids running around here, when we have children... We never have to teach them to be selfish. <laughs> you know? We don't have to teach them to be selfish. Why? Because it's mine, and I have it, and you can't have it. You know? I remember one, one, little, one little boy uh, asked me for French fries, so I bought him some French fries. Then I said, well, can I have one? He said, nope. They're mine. <laughs> Where did that come from? I just bought them for you. If, you wouldn't, if I wouldn't have bought them and given them to you, you'd never have them. So... <laughs> well, the idea in our, in our selfishness is that we begin to think that we are self-sufficient. That we are able to look at ourself and say, as the chairman of the board, I did it. No, that, did he sing it my way? No. Well, yeah, I did it my way. You know, I took the, the right and the wrong and put it together and Whatever it's said and done, I've done it my way. Well, I'm not going to sing it for you because we will then quit church very early. So, we are looking at our self and seeing how that our self is a very, is a very difficult person to get along with. Because self has a focus of me and my and mine. That when I look at who I am, I see what I possess you see, whenever the, the things of life that we break God's commandments the most is whenever we become consumed with me and my and mine. Because we are in this selfish mode of asking God for what we need and how that we can be better off than we were before and how that we can be, I can be, better than my neighbor. And you see, that type of self is self-destructive. It is destroying who we really are. God did not create us to be selfish. God created us that we would have gifts so that we would be able to share them with others so that in the sharing we find ourselves receiving that which we have sown. So selfish has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ Selfish has the understanding that it's me and I can do it my way and I can get what I want no matter who I hurt. But we find in the scriptures that myself, our self, is not what Jesus is here about. Jesus came, he, he said, he, if anyone could have been standing up and saying that that I am the greatest, I am the I am who created this universe and spoke it into existence. I am this, and God doesn't speak that way. 
He says, I've come to do the will of my Father. It's in the doing the will of my Father that I accomplish my purpose. So in our lives, it's that very same um, this destination, that very same distinction and um, the same way that we're going is that I'm finding myself in Christ. And when I find myself in Christ, I find that I am discovering my true personality. My true personality isn't sarcastic. <laughs> my true personality is really not jealous. The true personality is not a hoarder or this is mine and you can't have it. My true personality is in what God wants in our lives. And God wants us to grow up. <laughs> you know, he doesn't want us to be babes in the woods. I thought, babes in the woods. What, what, a, what a poor choice of words. But yet, when you think about it, it's really a good choice of words. Because whenever we think that we are <laughs> sufficient in ourselves, we're like babes in the woods. What happens to babes in the woods? They're lost. They're easy prey for anyone who wants to harm them. They have no sense of right or wrong the direction they're going. And so in that process of being a babe in the woods, the Bible is saying we don't have any room for that. We won't tolerate it in the kingdom of God. Tolerating in the God because small children are a very easy mark for imposters. So when we are children in our faith, we can be blown away, led away, led astray by any wind or doctrine. So God wants us to grow up. This is what Ephesians says. Paul says here in the church of Ephesians. God wants us to grow up and to know the whole truth and tell it in love. You see, we want to know the whole truth and we want to tell it in love. Do you know what one of the greatest sins is in the Bible? One of the greatest sins in the Bible is, you ready? What is the one sin that is greatest among all sins? Well, sometimes we would say, well, it's, on, it's stealing, it's immorality, it's serving other gods. But the worst sin is a spiritual sin. And the spiritual sin is putting other people in the wrong. <laughs> we become the judge, the jury, and the executioner. That we want to, the spiritual sin of bossing, demeaning, amusingly tolerant of dishonesty. That the spiritual sin of diab this diabolical self are that we take our self-image and our relationship with God and we put them together and we use it as a judge of other people. That's one of the worst diabolical sins in the Bible. And it says that um, it's of bossing, demeaning, uh, acceptance of dishonesty, backbiting, and the pleasure of power and of hatred. The pleasure of power and of hatred. It goes on to say that that is why a cold, self-righteous, stuffed shirt who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. When I, I read that, I thought, 
oh, yeah, right, you know. And then I started thinking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were the self-righteous stuffed shirts telling people where they were going wrong, how they were all going to die and go to hell. And Jesus was trying to reach them, and, and they wanted to know why he would go and spend time with sinners, harlots, and, and thieves. And Jesus is saying, these people are closer to God than you are. Hmm. You know, it reminds me of, a, in one of the cities we were at before we came to Wimber, there was this man who, he went to church all of his life. And this was told to me by the uh, deacon of that church. Um, he said he went to church all of his life, and on his deathbed, this deacon went to him and said, do you know Jesus as your Savior? And the man, it was in his 60s or 70s, had been in church all of his life. He had all those little long badges. You know, he used to have so many years of attendance and all that. He had all those long badges. And his statement was one that I've never forgotten. He said that, I have resisted Jesus as my Savior all of my life, and I won't change my mind now. And I thought, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> What's he doing going to Christ? What does he mean going to church and, not, and refusing to have Jesus in his heart? He was doing it because he saw himself as this judge of other people. Come to find out, he was one of the most difficult people to get along with in the church. He was the most difficult person to get along with in the church and, and actually was one who was kept people away from church by his demeaning, demanding personality. And you see, that's totally, and it is a, and that is like a, a spiritual sin. It is a spirit in which people think that they know God and are using their knowledge of God and God's power then to be demeaning to others. Where did Jesus ever do that? Where did Jesus ever take on the, the, the role of, let me tell you where you're all going? <laughs> he went to each individual and he began to tell them, but it was the self-righteous people that Jesus couldn't reach. The sinners are the ones that he, and that he was able to, to connect with because they didn't have all of these walls of the prejudiced judgments. And so whenever we see this and we read here in Ephesians, God wants us to grow up. God wants us to let go of those demeaning, destroying ideas that are not part of the Christian faith and are not even supposed to be part of our personality. And that God wants, and we do this by knowing the whole truth. And what is the whole truth? That Jesus is the way, his teachings are the truth, and in Christ I have life. I have it, and I have it not only now, but I have it in eternity. That Jesus is the way, and he is the truth. We make we take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. Do we get up in the morning and say, Jesus, thank you for another day? Or are we like the, the guy said, did you wake up grumpy this morning? Nope, I left him sleep. <laughs> did you wake him up? No, I left him sleep. <laughs> yeah. How about... Uh, uh, husband and wife had, uh, they were disagreeing and fighting, and so they were doing each, giving each other the silent treatment. 
And the guy was getting up to take a flight in the morning. He had to get up at like 4.30 in the morning. So he left a note for his wife, wake me up at 4.30. And so, because they weren't talking, so he woke up at 8. Missed his plane, everything. And he went to find out why his wife didn't wake him up. And she, she, has, she pointed to the note, wake up, it's 4.30. <laughs> Do you see how we can allow ourselves to move away from the personality of Christ to take on a personality that is not, that is of our old nature, of our fallen nature. And you see that these natures are in conflict with one another. These natures are in conflict with each other. And that's why when Paul says, I know to do right and I don't do it, it's like he recognizes the conflict of the nature. He recognizes how that, who I am and who I am in Christ is different than myself, part of my old nature, part of who I was, but not who I am. In uh, Colossians chapter 1, it says, uh, we, took, we look at this son and see God who cannot be seen. I, you know, there again, we look at the Son, we look at Christ, and we see the God who cannot be seen. How many times have we seen people who are these self-righteous ones, and we would say, if they're Jesus and they're a Christian, I don't want to be one. Well, guess what? They're not. <laughs> they are not following Christ. They're not following Christ's teachings. And we, see, we need to look at that if we look at his son and we need to see God who cannot be seen. When people look at our lives, we want our lives to be reflective of Jesus. You know, that is very hard. Because we can't do it ourselves. <laughs> we can't do it ourselves. We have to have our, referring to not me, mine, and mine, but Jesus and I together as one with his word and his truth in my heart. And my heart and my life are expressive of his love, of his forgiveness, so that we can, when people look at us, they would see Jesus as people looked at Jesus they saw the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've come to do the will of my Father. So Jesus wasn't there to, pro, it wasn't there saying, this is, I, he did say, I am the Son of God and I, I am the Messiah, but he was referring that he has come to do the will of his Father. And then he goes on, we look at this Son and see God's original purpose in everything created. So when we look at Jesus, we see the purpose of the, the reason for creation. Do you know why I was, I was listening to one of the um, science channels or whatever the other day, and they were talking about Einstein, and, uh, and I, I, I kind of like the guy. I think we're pretty close in relationship. <laughs> He's at one end of the family, and I'm at the other. Okay, but uh, <laughs> uh, so that uh, this, this, this idea of, and they were saying that for, for Einstein and a lot of the scientists, the reason that they don't want a creation is that if there is a creation, there is an end. And if there is an end, there is accountability. But if everything has always been and always continues to be, they feel safer in that analogy. That 
there's no purpose in it because it's just going to go on as it has gone on. But in faith, we have God who is eternal. We have God who is the eternal, and he spoke into existence, create, he spoke into existence all that we have, breathed into humankind the breath of life. We became a living soul, and then God comes and be part, becomes part of our life, and whatever we have faith in God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. We now have eternal life because we know that there is a creation. <laughs> we know there is a beginning. Because God created it. And that God will not allow the breath of life to die. You see, when we look at life and when we look at who we are, life cannot end. Life cannot end. Death does not have the power to erase life. Nothing of this world or of the universe or of ourselves or has the power to erase life. God has breathed life and life will be eternal because it is his breath. And his breath then becomes the breath of life in me so it's no longer our self, my self, mine self. <laughs> it is God and I together living a life for Christ. Finding our whole, finding our our true personality. <laughs> yeah. So if you're wondering about your true personality, did you wake up grouchy? <laughs> no. I find new life in Christ. I find new purpose in him. That, and also in, in Colossians, Paul says, everything got its start. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. Everything has its purpose in Christ. So whenever we allow Christ to be, become part of us, we will allow Christ to, in, to come in and forgive us of our sins and live within our heart, we have this realization that this is what I was created for. And my true personality is forgiving and loving and letting go of things that are really not that important. That I'm able to go on with life. I'm able to give to people with no strings attached. I'm able to forgive and allow the Spirit of God to help me to forgive so that I find my true purpose, my true personality is not in getting even. It's not in hoarding. My true personality is in depositing. Depositing the truths of God's Word into people's lives. He was there before anything came into existence. And he holds it all together right up to this moment. God is the one who's holding this all together. It's, we don't have to, we need to be concerned about our political arenas and the world and all the crazy things going on. We need to do our part. But God is the one who holds it all together. God is the one who keeps us close to him. You know, as you look back over your life, you think about how God has brought us, how God has brought us through many things, many trials, many difficulties. You know, for Rhonda and I being here, I often reflect on, on that and how that we got here and how that um, 
the, the people that we contact and, and, you know, how things could have been different if, if this had gone that way or one thing had gone to another thing. And it's just like a whole life could have been changed, but we didn't go that way. I met Ruth at uh, Home Plate. It wasn't a ball field either. <laughs> it was a restaurant, and she was like, it was a little restaurant down there where Subway used to be. And, um, huh? Where Subway is, where the home plate used to be. And there's Ruth in the kitchen cooking. <laughs> She's still in the kitchen cooking <laughs> at the hospital. But this was at the home plate. And I, st- I can, you know, I don't remember much, but I can still remember looking through that open window thing, and there's Ruth in the back. <laughs> so, how, how our lives have been intertwined over all these years and her daughter and Rachel and our daughter and all the kids. It's just like all these interconnections. And that's just one. And we look at how that, and who, put, who, held, who holds all this together? Jesus. He holds this all together. And he holds it together in such a way that <laughs> all things work together for good. He's not caught off guard. He's not caught off guard by what happens to us, through us, in us. And then in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 and 17, we're having a, a baptismal today, and we find where Jesus himself is baptized. And when Jesus, uh, when, and when Jesus then appeared, arriving at the Jordan River from Galilee, he, went, he wanted John to baptize him. John objected, I'm, not, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, because John recognized who Jesus was. But Jesus, insta- Jesus insisted, do it. God's work, putting things right all these centuries is coming together right now in the baptism. Putting things right. Our relationship with God is putting all things right. Father, is this wrong? No, no. All things come together. All things are coming together as right in our life when Jesus Christ is in our heart and lives. He makes all things right. (laughs) All things working to a divine pattern. And he says, do it. Putting things right all these centuries is coming together right now in baptism. So John did. And in the moment that Jesus came up out of the baptism waters, the skies opened, and he saw God's Spirit. It looked like a dove, so the dove descending from heaven upon Jesus. And then, along with the Spirit of voice, this is my Son, chosen and marked by my love, the light of my life. Jesus could have said, ourself, (laughs) the Father, the Spirit, and the Son together. He could say that, ourself. But Jesus didn't come to look at who he was. He came to fulfill the will of the Father. And then in uh, Romans chapter 6, when we went under the water, we left our old country of sin behind. We look at what Paul is describing as baptism. And he's saying whenever we go under the water, we are leaving the old behind. We are accepting the new. We are proclaiming to the new. And 
in, in, the early te- in the New Testament, when they were baptized, it was a way of marking them as followers of Jesus. It was an open confession of how that they had now become followers of Jesus and that their life had taken on a new perspective. A perspective that it is no longer I that liveth, but Christ who liveth in me. It is dying to an old life, rising to a new life in Jesus Christ. The water doesn't make us pure. The water is a symbol of what we've done in our own hearts and lives. That God is the one who has forgiven me. And it's no longer about myself. It's about God's Spirit being in me. And I then asking God for help. Did I wake up a joyful, spirit-filled person today? Jesus, I need to be a joyful, spirit-filled person today. You know, it isn't automatic. It's a prayer. It isn't, it isn't just, you know, bubbling over. It is allowing the Spirit of God in asking, praying, believing, understanding God loves me. He forgives me. I love. I forgive. I have a beginning. I will have no end. My eternal life is in Christ, and I will live forever with him. Amen? So it's no longer myself that liveth, but it's his self who lives in me. Amen? Let's stand, shall we? (laughs) Amen. Father, we are grateful to you and thank you for the forgiveness, the blessing, the strength, God, the understanding of your word. We ask, God, that you bless this word to our hearts. We receive it. God, do a work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. And we'll see you in a little bit. We're going to have the um, baptism first, and then we'll have the picnic after that. So I just want to make sure.